How you guys doing? All right. There's a little broken part on this uh, table, and it has to face me. That's just a little OCD. You know, how many of you relate to that? Just got to get it in the right spot. Otherwise, I can't do what I do. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Good to be here with you guys. Man, you're the best-looking congregation I've seen since first service. I'm telling you. For sure. You're looking good. How many of you, you know, took that monthly bath or shower, right? Got ready for church. You know, we don't want to be extreme. Some of you weekly bathers really taking it too far, but the monthly, right? It's okay. It's okay to laugh. I'm joking. I'm joking. It wasn't funny, but I was joking. So good to be with you guys today. We are kicking off a brand new series called Rocket Fuel. <clears throat> and I'll talk a little bit about more what that means, but the the gist of it is we're talking about deepening our relationship with the Lord and letting his presence and uh, our relationship with him be the fuel of our lives. Uh, and it really ties into something near and dear to my heart because Joy Church was founded really on three distinct values or principles. Um, I don't know if those, some of you have been here since the beginning, uh, six years ago, but for those that are, that are newer, just, just a heads up, you know, when Bethany and I and just a few families planted Joy Church. We were just meeting in our living room in South Eugene. We went over to uh, the Hilliard Community Center and there was, you know, 20 to 50 of us kind of in that initial season. And uh, um, it was just a raw kind of a real thing. And uh, we, we just sort of started from scratch there. And there were three things that, that we felt like these are the principles. These are the things we, we want to see in the church, uh, believing they're God's will, but, but from what he's working through us, that we, the kind of church we'd want to see our children be raised in. Um, Evelyn, Jack, and Penelope, and obviously the, the kids of the other team members as well. But just for us, that deep personal thing of what kind of a church we want our children to be raised in. And there were three things God put in our heart. The very first one was this, that we'd be directed and sustained by the presence of God. And what that means is that, yeah, we're going to do have videos. We're going to have building. We're going to have strategy. There's going to be organization. There's going to be staffing. There's going to be some of those external things, organizational things that go into creating a, a healthy and, and well-functioning church. How many of you are grateful that we actually have like childcare and people that show up and it's a beautiful thing, right? So uh, we're excited about that. And we're glad to have people that know how to use their gift in singing and, and, and playing instruments to lead us in worship. That's a, that's a great thing. But we didn't want to rely on our strategies and our planning and our sophistication. Uh, we wanted to be directed and sustained by the presence of God so that everything comes out of our relationship with him, his presence, and that we're like Moses when he was leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. He says to God, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we won't go. In other words, we're just going to camp where you are. If you know that story, there was the <clears throat> fire by, there was the cloud by day, the fire by night, and the people of Israel were literally led by the presence of God. And as a church, we, we want to, 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 to be that way as a church family, as a church community. And then that should go down into us as individuals, that we are directed and sustained by the presence of God. In other words, Lord, my life is not going to rise or fall based on my intelligence, based on my ability to earn an income, based on my ability to, to be uh, novel or unique in my career. Uh, it's not going to be based on uh, my sophistication, but it's going to be based on sticking with the fire in the cloud, that I live by the word of God. I'm directed and sustained by his presence. And that's a value for us at Joy Church. And Rocket Fuel is all about that. The second value, as I said, there were three, right? So I won't leave you hanging. The second value is that we'd be a church of real community. You know, you go to, I've been to a lot of churches in, in my life and you walk in and almost every church is going to tell you 
on the, whether it's banners on the wall or, or whatever, the pastor's going to get up and say, we're a church of relationship. We love families. We're about relationship. And then, you know, pray to God you don't go to a committee meeting because they hate each other, right? And man, there's no real relationship. Like people are in and then they're out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I do. I know what I'm saying. So anyways, we want to be not that. We want to be an actually relational church, a church that is there for each other, that, you know, that when you come in, there's kindness, but it's not just surface level, that people are inviting you into their homes. That's why we are a church of groups. We're not not a church that does groups. We are a church of groups because relationship and community uh, is at the center and it's, it's real, it's authentic. And the third thing that we believe in as a church, this third real core value is this, that we'd be a church of empowering discipleship, which is a fancy way of saying we don't want people warming the bench. We want you on the field. That we believe when Jesus said 2,000 years ago, right before he ascended to heaven, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey some, no, all of my commands, right? And I am with you even to the end of the age. That we take that seriously, that the call of Christ in every biblically faithful church is going to not let people just sit as spectators, but move as much as possible into participation. That's why we participate in worship. Bethany was giving that word. Kalia was leading us in worship. She wasn't just saying, hey, watch me, watch me, right? It wasn't that usher thing. What does he do? Watch me. No, it was like, let's do this together. We're worshiping the Lord together. Come on. Today, as I'm preaching right now, yes, I am speaking what God has given me to speak, but you're not just to watch, you're to engage and let God's word be planted in good soil to produce good fruit in your lives. We are not a church of spectators. We're a church of participants. And so that third value that, that, that engaging value, that empowering discipleship value, it, it informs everything that we do. There was a, a member of our church had talked to somebody in the community at one point, and they were sharing this story with me. It was, it was great. They said, yeah, we met this lady, and she said, uh, you know, yeah, I've been to Joy Church. This is when we were back at the movie theater, but, uh, but I, I don't go to that church anymore. I don't really like the pastor. And they said, okay, why? And I'm like, well, I can give you a lot of reasons. But anyways, this were her reasons her reasons. She said, well, he's just always like yelling or talking about how you can't just sit in the, in the, in the pew. You have to be, you know, on the team. Like you have to get involved. And I was like, yeah, I think she kind of nailed it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so that's why she doesn't come to church. And I'm like, okay. You know, I mean, I want you to come, but I want you to be a part, but yeah, you're kind of getting it. I mean, imagine if you like own a barbecue restaurant, and you're reading your Yelp reviews, you know, as a business owner, and somebody's like, you know, the problem with this barbecue restaurant, they serve barbecue. <laughs> uh, yeah. The problem with this church is they want people to be disciples of Jesus. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of, right? That we are not about sitting it out. We're not about spectating and we're not about consuming religious content. We are about participating in the life of God, participating in the kingdom of God, which means getting involved. And that goes into everything that we do. So going back to that first value of being directed and sustained by the presence of God, if we believe that being a biblical disciple, being a disciple of Jesus should inform and and inspire every part of our life, how much more our spiritual life, that, that connection that we have with God, that's what rocket fuel is about. Here's the thing. Your life is filled with potential. And I'm not talking about it in some sort of Tony Robbins, you can start a business and, you know, go diamond direct kind of a thing today. No, 
I'm talking about the fact that you were made on purpose. Intrinsically, you're valuable because you're made in the image of God. You're made on purpose and for a purpose. The Christian worldview stands in juxtaposition to naturalism, which says you are time plus slime plus chance. The cosmos is sort of doing its thing and you just sort of were somebody's accident in the backseat of a car or whatever your, your, your you know, origin story is. I was actually bitten by a spider in a laboratory and um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I came from a planet named Krypton. No, I'm kidding. But whatever your origin story is, the Christian worldview says God designed this whole thing and you in it and you're made in his very image and because that you were designed on purpose and created on purpose, Flowing from that, there is purpose in your life and for your life. There is purpose out of who you are made in the image of God. And so each, each of us has tremendous potential. But one of the saddest things that you'll observe in life is when someone doesn't live up to their potential. Now, I'm not talking about your mom being disappointed because you didn't get into Notre Dame or Harvard or something. I'm talking about the potential of your sonship or your daughterhood uh, in relationship with God and really becoming the person you were made to be. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong. It's not, I'm not talking today about the earthly measures of success. How much money did you make? Did you get the job? Did you, did you have the, the white picket fence and all of that? No, I'm talking about connecting with your God-given purpose, your relationship with him, and then living that out faithfully as a disciple of Jesus. I don't know a lot. We good? Is, my, is that my time? Am I up? Is it 11.30? <laughs> Hey, just a heads up, like, I, I, you can't set an alarm for me. I have, it has to be programmed in before. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just having fun. Um, I'm not having as much fun as I was, though, because I forgot. Potential. Old age is just rough, isn't it? It's, uh, okay, I'm just going to, I'll just move on. Potential, you know, living up to your potential I don't remember what I was going to say. Sometimes I try to kickstart myself. It didn't work. All right. So <laughs> what's this have to do with rockets, Jake? We're talking about rocket fuel. You know, if, if you take the greatest rockets and, and uh, space shuttles and all this wonderful technology and you put it on the launching pad at Cape Canaveral, but you don't fuel it, it just sits there and doesn't do anything. It, it, it sort of goes to waste. And so many people... Uh, their, their life, it, it's so, there's so much in them. There's so much available to them, not just for their own sake, but for the sake of the world. This is one of the reasons why I am unabashedly against abortion. And I'll just give you one thing. And you're like, oh, great. No, no, no. Listen to this. Did we crucify the cure for cancer in the 30 million or 50 million or however many babies? Did we, did we eliminate uh, the cure for Alzheimer's? Did we eliminate that because just the sheer human value potential in lives that were not permitted to exist was eradicated before they started? Just as, this is just an example of how the Christian worldview changes how you will think about things in life, right? Uh, that the, the potential in every person just to even have the ability to exist. But now think about this. When a person is alive and they exist, but they're like that rocket ship on the launching pad, what is the thing that is meant to fuel their life? I believe that it's our relationship with God, which we've been separated from because of sin. The scripture is clear. It says the wages of sin is death. And that death it permeates all aspects of life. That death is spiritual, yes. That death is emotional. That death is relational. 
And it breaks and, and it splits our relationship with God and it begins to fracture and poison our relationships with other people. And it even, it even fractures and poisons and breaks our relationship even with planet Earth. That's why the scriptures say that all creation groans. It's like moaning and groaning and longing for the, for the redemption when Jesus comes back and it's a new heavens and a new earth. And so sin separates us from God and it breaks us, uh, it breaks us away from that fuel that's meant to be uh, the guiding, the, 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 the north star of our life, that thing that fuels us. A few years ago, we bought a rototiller on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or one of those. And Bethany and I are always about finding deals. I don't know if any of you guys are like this, but we're always looking for deals. And so we found a rototiller that I think is from like the 1940s or something. I don't know. It was like $40 or $50. And this thing it's probably worth more in sheer metal weight. Like we could probably call a scrapyard and they would pay us like $200 because it, 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 I mean, it has the, the metric tonnage of like a 1940 submarine. I mean, it is just massive and muscle bound and powerful as I am. I can barely move this thing, you know, on, on flat ground if it's not on. Now, when you fuel this bad boy up and you, you get it going and those tines begin to dig into the earth, it will literally drag you along. Now, I, I know you probably aren't going to believe what I'm going to say here, but I have actually never ridden a bucking bronco or like a, a, a bucking bull or something. I, I never have. I know you probably think I am because I have that cowboy mystique, but I haven't. But I think that following this rototiller and being dragged along is probably kind of like that. The thing about this rototiller, though, is that we had to get this thing started and get it fueled up and figure out you know, how it worked. When it is not fueled, it is just immovable. I mean, it is, it is trouble. When you get it going, it is tremendously powerful. When you are fueled with the presence and the power of God, you cease to be an inanimate object doing harm to the world. You begin to be motivated and moving forward in, in your God-given purpose, and you make a difference, and you enjoy your life a lot more in the process. Now, funny, uh, a funny note on this story about the rototiller is I get done rototilling our entire garden area and uh, I was really happy to do it because Bethany's an incredible gardener. We always have amazing fresh tomatoes and all kinds of things. So I get, I get done doing it. I walk in and she's like, hey, did you happen to see any snakes? And I'm like, well, that's an oddly specific thing to ask me about, you know, <laughs> just happened to wonder, you know, and, and I go, well, well, why? And she goes, well, you know, when I went out there and moved all the cardboard off the garden, um, there was like hundreds of snakes. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I was like, oh, that's weird. You didn't mention that to me <laughs> when I was going to go out there and disturb their entire existence that I was actually landing in an Indiana Jones scene. You know, I didn't know that. And she goes, yeah, I didn't tell you because I knew you would stop. You know? <laughs> that's correct. Okay. We were designed to function in relationship with God. God's presence, his, the relationship we have with him is the fuel of our life. Now, as I say this, we, we're going to talk about things like spiritual disciplines, how to pray, how to fast, how to read your Bible. But I don't want to reduce something that is holy, something that is intimate, something that is um, a treasure down to the, the mechanics. What I mean by this is that when I say God's presence is the fuel of our life, I don't mean to say that it's sort of this transactional thing. Like, here, I'm an American consumer. Let me bring my spiritual credit card and swipe it and let me do something so I can get some God and then I can take that measure of God and his presence or whatever as a commodity and then I can do some spiritual things. That's not what I mean. 
In the same way that in a marriage, the marriage, does communication matter? Yes. Does learning good communication skills matter? Yes. Is that what the marriage is? Is that the sum total? No. That is the mechanics or the function that leads to the, the, the fullness of what that relationship is. And when we talk about our relationship with God being the rocket fuel, it's not treating God's presence as a commodity. That's why I don't, I don't like it when I'll hear people preach or you know, different worship leaders or whatever, and they will, they will depersonalize the presence of God. They'll say things like, we're just here seeking the presence. That's like going to Burger King and being like, I would like the fries, right? It's very sort of commoditizing something. No, when I talk about the presence of God, it means he's there in your atmosphere. Like when I'm in, I don't call hanging out with Bethany, oh, I was in the presence of my wife, the presence of Bethany. She'd like that, but I don't do it. Let's say, hanging out with my, my girl. I'm hanging out with my lady. I'm hanging out with my best friend. No, I don't talk like that. I'm trying to get more street cred up here, babe. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't depersonalize. So it's not, oh, well, we're here to engage the presence. That's how you know somebody's never met him, right? It's like, do you not know him? You know what I mean? Like, no, we're here with Jesus. He's here. The Spirit of God is here in this place. And so when I talk about his presence being the sustaining and the fuel of our lives. I want to be careful that we don't treat God's presence and that relationship with God as a commodity to be managed, to be purchased, to be bargained for, but rather a relationship that is built through the right practices of engaging with him through true love and intimacy. So 2 Peter 1.3, let's jump into the scripture. I love Jesus' disciple Peter because he was like a meat and potatoes guy, the way he talks about things. He says this, and I, and I love this. Uh, he says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, please ignore the rest of the verse for one second, okay? I know now you're going to read it. It's like saying, don't push the red button. But Peter says, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, when I read godly life, I think about behavior I like doing the right things, but I also think about a God-inspired life, a life of purpose, a life where I'm connected with God and who he made me to be. And in the relationship that we have, there's, there's joy, there's peace, everything that comes out of a godly life. Just try to make it as big as you possibly can. And Peter says, God has given us by his power everything we need for living a godly life. Now, as I read this, I'm like, well, that's cool. That's exciting. Like, I want a godly life. I, I want everything God has for me. I want God, everything God has from me, right, to bless the world and to use my gifts and talents and abilities to make a difference. Like, I want all of that. But here's the problem I have with this, is that's not what my day-to-day life feels like. Because I'll be honest with you, I always am, but I'll say it out loud. <laughs> I don't always feel like I have everything. Like, I don't know about you, but... I may have sinned this week. I mean, I'm not going to give you any specifics, but it, it was there, right? Uh, not only did I sin, but I was selfish. I probably got angry. Uh, I got depressed, you know, at least a little bit this week. There are days, you know, when, in dark moments in my life where I'm like, Lord, I mean, I'm praying, but it feels like I'm praying into a, a, into a brass heaven. You know, like it just feels like it's coming right back at me. Anybody else? So... My day-to-day existence as a Christian, contrary to maybe what you like hear from like the faith preacher people or whatever, is like not overwhelming victory in all areas of life all the time. My dad likes to say, the only thing I can't resist is temptation. 
you know? Like, I find my actual existence as a Christian is kind of more like a battle. How many of you wrestle with your own anger at other people in the world? How many of you wrestle with cynicism, cynicism and being jaded and being like, oh, everything sucks? You know, how many of you wrestle with discouragement and depression? How many of you wrestle with sickness? How many of you wrestle with your children because they're naughty? You know, just there's all kinds of things. And, 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 and yet Peter says, and this is God's word, and I believe the Bible. So I find like some cognitive dissonance here that you've been given, Jake, everything to live a godly life. And yet I don't feel that. So w- w- what's the breakdown here? Well, we got to keep reading because Peter gives us something interesting, a clue into the way this functions and works. And I'll give it to you in the scripture, and then we'll talk about an analogy that I think makes it uh, even clearer. He says, we have received, which is past tense, we have received all of this. That's the everything that we need to, to, to live a godly life by coming to know him. Now we've moved into a future tense. We've talked about something that has been given to us, something that we've received, but the way that we've received it is through something that is now in present or future tense, by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his glory, marvelous glory and excellence. Now, here's what Peter is saying. He's saying, you have been given something and it's yours. The way that you were given it and how you keep getting it now and how you're going to get it is by a continual process of coming to it or coming into it. And that might seem confusing, but we actually understand this very well. And I'll give you an example. On March 17th, 2007, did I get that right? Yes, that is our wedding anniversary. Yes. So March 17th, I actually butchered it like three months after we got married, didn't I? In the year 2007, I was preaching and I gave the wrong date. So that wasn't good. So I always double check. March 17th, 2007, Bethany and I stood on stage at Joy Medford, down in, in Medford there, and we pledged ourselves in marriage. We, we took our, you know, gave our, our wedding vows, and at that moment, we were 100% married. But you know what we didn't do at that moment? We weren't like, cool, we're married, sweet, did the whole married thing, peace, deuces. No, we then entered into the married life, and our marriage is 100%, we were 100% married then, we're 100% married now, but we're growing in and we're experiencing and we're walking out and living out what it means to be a married couple. And the thing about something like marriage, which is a, a sacred and holy institution, is that the reward of marriage is the journey itself, not some destination. There isn't an award you get if you die married. There isn't, like, nobody comes and gives you, well, here, your parents were married 50 years, here, we're going to give your family $100,000 from Ed McMahon and Publishers Clearinghouse. Like, there's no, there's no reward that comes from the government. There's no, like, you don't get, like, an, a, a gold stamp on your tombstone. Like, that's not, the reward of marriage isn't that it's longer or that it's, like, when you died, you're married or something like that. The reward is that you get to have that relationship and continue to treasure it and enjoy it as long as you both shall live. So the reward of it is the thing itself. Are you with me? And Peter is describing that this is how our relationship with Christ works. Yes, you were married. You were given everything. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are redeemed. You are saved. You are a Christian. You are uh, with Christ. And you received it, and you're going to receive it, and you are receiving it as you're continuing to come to know him. And there's this progression of relationship that he's talking about. Are you with me? We have received all of this by coming to know him. Everything we need in God comes through our relationship with Christ 
And it happened, and it's happening, and it will happen, and it's a continual process. And this is why we talk about the Christian life is not, you don't finish the Christian journey when you give your life to Jesus. Like when today we're going to ask, is anybody here that wants to start their journey of being a Christian, to start their journey of following Jesus? Being a Christian is not a prayer that you pray. It's not a moment. It starts in a moment, and it should go for a lifetime. And what we find then is the beauty and the potency of our Christian life and our relationship with God is about the proximity that we have to Christ. Do we stay close to the flame? Do we continue to enjoy that thing, that relationship, that person? Do we continue to stay close? And out of that intimacy, all of those wonderful things come. So with Christ is the key. Now let me give you an illustration about this. Uh, Between Tom Brady and I, we are seven-time Super Bowl champions. It's true. Uh, Tom Brady and I together have thrown over 500 touchdown passes in NFL football games. Tom Brady and I have thrown for thousands of yards and won countless playoff games. Um, With Tom, I am a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Without Tom, I am not even worthy to tie their shoes. Without Tom, I'm not even allowed to be the water boy, right? I'd get kicked out of the stadium and they'd be like, you're a joke, right? Beat it. But with Tom, I am a Super Bowl champion. How many of you with Tom Brady? I've also won seven Super Bowls. Come on. Awesome, right? I know people hate, you know, don't be a hater. Just go along with it, okay? We all know Jesus' team is the 49ers, so let's not pretend like anything else. But in case anybody was wondering, I was thinking today, we were singing that song, you know, we watched the Giants fall. And I don't like to exercise authority a lot, but I think we should probably change that to watch the Dodgers fall. Amen? Yeah. So, because, yeah. Anyways, we'll move on from there. With Tom, I'm a Super Bowl champion. With Jesus, I'm the righteousness, righteousness of God in Christ. With Tom, I've won NFL playoff games. With Christ, I kick devil butt all over town. With Tom, I can throw a beautiful spiral. With Jesus, I can pray prayers that go right to the heart of God and move heaven and earth. Come on, with Christ, it's a game changer. That's why we talk about this whole idea of rocket fuel is not like some sort of schmaltzy, Christian-y, oh, let's just all kind of pretend like we enjoy reading our Bible and praying or whatever. No, the idea is we want to bring ourselves closer to the flames so we can burn for God and be like John Wesley, who said, I set myself on fire for God and people come to watch me burn. You see, I believe that each person that is set on fire in their relationship with God and begins to be fueled is not only personally going to be fulfilled and set free and transformed from the inside out, but is going to be absolutely unstoppable as a world changer in their community. That God can take extremely ordinary people and do extraordinary things, even in the ordinary day-to-day obediences when we are fueled with Christ and He uh, He is the fuel of our life. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, proximity, okay, relationship, not just mechanical, we're talking about close, you're with Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ 
not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is so much depth to this. Because Paul's talking about transformation and new identity and a new, uh, a new team that you're playing for. But he's not just talking about it in some external way, like you change your jersey and play for a different team. He's talking about internal transformation because now that you're in Christ, Christ is in you, and there's a brand new thing that's happening, which is why he, he talks about four things in this passage. Number one, he talks about a new creation, that the old is gone, the new is here. See, Christians, if we believe the gospel, what we would believe is that my old sin, my old shame, my old life, my old way of thinking, my old thought patterns and behaviors and philosophies and isms and everything, that, that's gone and now I'm alive in Christ. There's a new creation. And this isn't something that just happened. See, this is a mistake we make as we say, well, you know, you were a new creation when you gave your life to Jesus. Then 25 years down the road, we're like, yeah, but I feel pretty dead today as a Christian. Anybody else? And we're like, yeah, but you've been given everything you need to live a godly life. Yeah, but I don't feel it. Why? Because that old zombie keeps trying to come out of the grave. Ah! And, and, and what we have to do is go, you know what? No, I'm a new creation in Christ. As I continue to know Jesus, the new creation reality continues to show up in my life on a day-by-day -day basis. New creation. Now, let me tell you something about a new creation. This doesn't mean an upgraded. This isn't like the iPhone 3 goes to the iPhone 4. I think we're way beyond that, but you know. This isn't like an iteration or a variation. What Jesus did was he transforms you. When you come to Christ, the old thing dies and goes away, and there's a totally new creation. And what this means is God doesn't just want to add new behaviors to your existing chassis. He wants to transform your desires so that not only do you do what Jesus does, but you do it because you want to. And you don't do what you used to do, not because you're trying to always be out of duty or religious guilt, but he's transformed you from the inside out. That's what it means to be a new creation. I mean, think about this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives probably the most legalistic sermon I've ever heard. When I hear Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount, you know, as an educated pastor, I just think, man, Jesus needs to be more like Jesus. You're so uncomfortable right now. I can feel it. <clears throat> Second service, I know I'm just going to lunch either way, so it's all good. I'll just say it, you know. When I hear the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is so legalistic. I mean, Jesus is like, hey, you've heard it said, don't murder. And we're like, that's a good one. And he's like, you know what, though? That's actually not it. You can't even be angry. And if you've been angry in your heart towards another person, that's the same thing as murder. That's so legalistic. I mean, Jesus is actually doing the definition of legalism. He's adding to the law. Do you realize that? And then Jesus has the audacity, what a legalist, to continue to preach this message. And he says, hey, don't commit adultery. And people are like, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I shouldn't do that. But if you've lusted in your heart, then you've basically, you've done the same thing. Adultery in the seed form or the tree form, same thing in the eyes of God. And Jesus is so legalistic. In fact, he's so legalistic that he makes the standard that we are to operate by utterly impossible. You know, I used to wear WWJD bracelets a lot. You know, what would Jesus do? The problem is there's such a discouragement to me 
Because oftentimes what Jake would do comes out way stronger than what Jesus would do. Anybody else? And it's the same little acronym, you know, and it's just such a problem. And I'm like, dang it. You know? And I'm like on the belt line, like driving around, you Mother Mary of God, I just love you, Jesus, so much. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. That's what I was going for right there. Not one finger, all five. Come on, somebody. And then I'm like, get this bracelet off me, you know. <clears throat> Anybody else uh, real Christian today? All right. So Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives this what would be, if it were up to you or I, uh, to, to do it, legalistic standard that goes far beyond the Old Testament Ten Commandments and goes right to the very root of what you want to do. Because see, the real problem with the Sermon on the Mount is that it doesn't just pin our behaviors, it pins our motivations. It, it, it pins our desires. And what I realize is, oh, darn, I desire adultery. I desire murder. I desire covetousness because I am rotten to the core. And that's where we should come to, all of us, until we realize, like Paul says, but in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Right? It's, 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 it's a whole different reality. It's a complete shift. It's not an upgrade. It's not like come to church, get some upgraded ideas and moral, moral philosophies, and then live a slightly better life. No, Jesus wants to crucify it, your old self, and then recreate in you a new heart. What the Old Testament talks about was a heart of stone, now is a heart of flesh. It's a new creation. And now that new creation, fueled with the presence and the power of God, is a totally different thing. And as we continue to get closer to Jesus, he transforms us so that we, not only are we behaving better, like that's happening, but, but in the process of us behaving better, but also messing up and behaving worse and the journey that we go on that roller coaster, he's changing our heart to want what he wants. And the closer you get, the more work he does in your life in a quicker amount of time. So again, this isn't just like mechanical, hey, let's learn how to pray so we can just get some God, God points. No. When you get close to God, you get transformed. It's impossible not to. It's like going to Chernobyl and walking in without any suit or whatever and getting right to the reactor like something's going to happen to you whether you observe what's happening or not. The closer you get to God, it will transform you and change you from the inside out. It'll begin to wreck you. Things that didn't wreck you before begin to wreck you. What, what hurts the heart of God begins to hurt your heart. What excites the heart of God begins to excite you. New creation. Paul says, in Christ, with Christ, we are reconciled with God. Sin made us enemies of God, but now we're friends of God, like it says in Romans 5. I'm excited about that. Then, like with Paul and Barnabas and Silas and this this team that he's talking about in 2 Corinthians, we are Christ's ambassadors, which means you don't just get a place at the family table, you get a place in the family business. God has this like incredibly wonderful idea to take a bunch of screwed up people and then put badges on them and make them be the ones that bring change. Like that's what a testimony is, right? I was a sinner, like totally deserving of hell, totally deserving to be separated from God. And by the grace of God, I am now a saint. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ. And the scandal of grace is like draped over my life. Yeah. And now I'm deputized to go and make this world a better place. 
Not because I'm great, not because I'm awesome, but because of a great, incredible, extraordinary God working through me, an ordinary person. And so God gives us a place in the family business as an ambassador. It is my audacious goal that we would have a church full of not joy group participants, but leaders. Because what would happen if each and every one of us just said, I will like do whatever I can to let God work through me to make disciples. And I'll let him take care of the results, right? Like don't, don't, don't sell yourself short. Don't be that rocket sitting there at Cape Canaveral and get like enough fuel to get you halfway to space. Like when God gets a hold of your heart and, and he's inside of you and in you, even when you think you're not making a difference, you are. And you're called to be an ambassador, called to be a participant, <clears throat> called to be, yes, a leader, called to be a disciple maker, called to be an atmosphere changer, called to be a prayer warrior, called to be a worship fiend, called to be a preacher of the gospel, called to be someone transformed who transforms the world around them. And last but not least, inside this passage, we are also told that in Christ, we are the righteousness of God, which is amazing to me because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. So as funny as it is for me to act like Tom Brady and I have won seven Super Bowls, this is actually the reality that in Christ, I am the righteousness of God. And it goes deeper than the sort of schmaltzy joke that I'm making about Tom Brady. It goes deeper because when I am a new creation in Christ, there is an impartation. There is some melding supernaturally that we don't understand of the spiritual reality where now the old me is lost in this new reality, this new creation and though my destiny is, was hell, now my destiny is heaven. My destiny was separation, now my destiny is family. My destiny was isolation, now my destiny is community. Like, it's amazing. And we are the righteousness of God in Christ, inheritors of all that Christ is to inherit. But the key to all of this is to stay connected in Christ, to be in him John 15, 5, Jesus spells it out. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's not, not confused about what the source is and who the recipients are. The source is Jesus. We are the recipients. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to stay connected with Jesus. And so as we go through this series called Rocket Fuel, we're going to talk about the practical application of this, that if I, as a follower of Christ, want to be connected in, want to be in him, I want to be connected to him, we have as a gift from the, all of church history, spiritual disciplines and practices that provide for us gateways into intimate relationship with God. Isn't it amazing that the church is an institution that is thousands of years old? Did you know that if, if God wasn't real and working, this thing would not exist because literally every empire has tried to eliminate it. Every philosophy, every worldview, everything has tried to knock it off and, and, and knock it off the pages of history. And yet this crazy thing we call church endures, not because there's some like, you know, Illuminati behind it or something. If the Illuminati was behind us, we'd probably have better funding, but we don't have that. <laughs> no, the reason the church exists is because it is the plan of God from eternity past to bring change to the world, to provide a place for people to come, find family, and, and find a place to belong and a place to grow in their walk with the Lord. And so our, 
four fathers and four mothers, uh, they have given us all these incredible things on how to pray, how to engage with God, and they don't replace the relationship. What they are is a starting point. Kind of like when your marriage is a little rough and you read a book about how to communicate and it, it, it begins to get you back on track. And I want to be clear because the devil will actually use a message like this and the ones we're going to preach in the rest of the series to, to give you a false idea. Because what when we talk about spiritual disciplines, what you might hear is this. You need to do better. You need to do more. You need to work harder. You need to be better. And that is actually the antithesis of this message. When we engage in spiritual disciplines like praying, like reading our Bible, like fasting, we don't do those things to be accepted by God. We don't move God through our disciplines and practices. We do them not for God, but for us. Because the reality is that what Christ did at the cross was sufficient and to, to bring us into relationship with God. In the book of Hebrews, it says, because of Christ being this high priest who empathizes with our weaknesses, but without sin, it says in verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. There are different levels of confidence. There is the confidence of an expert, and there's the confidence of a total ignoramus. That's the one we need to use when we come to God. The confidence of a child. My kids are hilarious. My daughter, you know, Penny, she took one piano lesson. She marched into the room. Dad, I learned how to play the piano today. <laughs> Me, as a piano player of decades now, is sort of like, <laughs> well, uh, you know, it'll bring her down a notch. Um, that's the kind of confidence we need to come to God with. What do you mean, Jake? Well, like coming into his presence, being like, God, I'm here. Like I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Bring it on, you know, like everything you have for me. Why? Because that's what he wanted for us. He brought us into sonship, to daughterhood. He's going to work on you. He's going to communicate. That relationship's going to grow. There's going to be things he asks of you. But, but what we do for him or do to get to him or whatever it can often become an idol that actually stands in the way of just connecting with him. So we're not talking about doing more, working harder, being better. What we're talking about is, hey, we're going to give some, we're going to give some gateways that have worked through time, learning how to read your Bible and study your Bible, learning how to pray, what fasting does, how just taking some time each day to meet with him and set it aside. And what these things do, they don't replace the relationship, but they enable the relationship. Because of Jesus, we can come with that childlike boldness, come to his throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So as we finish today, uh, Bethany's going to share some of the practical things we're going to be doing starting tomorrow. But we're starting this journey, uh, rocket fuel, of 10 days. And I would ask that we would just make some space in our life to carve out 10, 20, 30 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, just to read to, to pray, to hear from God, and let him begin to fuel our lives. Because I believe it's a journey that uh, is worth taking, and I believe it's a journey that will go on the rest of our lives as we follow Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing. We're going to take that time and devote ourselves uh, to the Lord, setting that, that time aside from whatever else it could be go going to, work, fun, family, whatever, and saying, God, I'm setting this time aside for you. 
And on that journey, what we're looking for is that we just want to grow closer in knowing him, right? We've received it, but we're coming to know him, and he's working that out in our lives. Amen? Would you bow your head and close your eyes today? If there's anybody here, as we've uh, talked about knowing Christ, that journey starts with accepting what he did for you at the cross. And every one of us comes through the same door. That's what I love about God's kingdom is like there's no VIP entrance. Uh, Nobody gets to like buy their way in. Nobody gets to, uh, nobody is good enough to get in and nobody's bad enough to stay out. Jesus said, the scriptures say, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And so the offer for you today is this. It's pretty scandalous. Like bring your life and give it to Jesus and he'll give you his. He gave it at the cross already, so he already did his part. And if you will give him your life, put your trust in him as your savior, he's going to forgive you, take away your sin. But he also asks you to follow him and to make him Lord, which means there's a new leader of your life. And it's a lifelong thing. It's not something that you come in, uh, in, come out. It's not like that. So I don't say this lightly, but if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I am ready to become a follower of Jesus. I know that whatever I'm bringing to the table is not working. It is not. I'm separated from God. I know that I'm not right with him and I need to be made right with him. Today's your day to come to Jesus and receive what he did for you at the cross. So if that's you, would you just lift up your hand so I can see? Just lift up your hand. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else, just be bold. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to see. Just take that step of faith today. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. Great decision. Great decision. Okay, let's pray this prayer together. We're all going to pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving your life for me at the cross. Thank you for your grace and mercy. I give you my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.